Do you believe in love forever after? It's the topic of literature, poems, romantics. Love forever. That love never dies. But is that indeed a fact? We see, especially today, relationships are in crisis. High rates of divorce. And even when there isn't technical divorce, emotional divorce... Please join me in discussing this critical topic. What is the secret to a lasting relationship? Hi, Simon Jacobson here. Welcome. We will be speaking about what is the secret to a lasting relationship. This program is dedicated by Cy Dorfman in honor and memory of his wife, Rivka Batshloma Zalman. I remember giving a talk at the Learning Annex in New York City a number of years ago. The topic was, is there such a thing as love forever after? And around 50, 60 people, some couples, some singles, men and women. And I opened the discussion with a question to everyone there. What are your beliefs? Does anyone believe in love forever after? You see it in films, in literature, in poems, people's ideology. The idea of meeting someone in your life and then forever and ever that connection never is severed. So among the 60 people, I asked, how many people believe one out of 60 people rose, a young woman, a young woman. I was surprised by the response, not because I wasn't surprised by their feelings. I was surprised that they were ready to share it publicly, especially sitting right near their spouse or significant other. And we went around the room and I asked, tell me, explain to me why not. I mean, everybody dreams about that. When we're in our teens and our young adults, as young adults, we dream about the concept of a forever after, a lasting, enduring relationship. And people had different thoughts on the matter. Uh, Some said it's a matter of fantasy. We all have that fantasy, but then when life settles in, you realize disappointments, things don't work out exactly the way you expected. In a perfect world, but it's not a perfect world. Different thoughts. One person shared, which was what I was waiting for, in a way, said, well, nothing lasts in this world. The food you eat, the money you make, your looks, your youth, life itself is subject to aging, mortality, and ultimately death, God forbid. So why would we suddenly feel that one thing in life called love lasts forever? Nothing lasts forever. This is, a, this is a, an impermanent world. And everything we gain and everything we uh, acquire in this life is, a, is, is temporary. So we touched upon that, and I said, okay, very good point. So why do you think that young woman raised her hand? <laughs> so a few people chimed in and said, well, because she's young and naive, and she hasn't yet experienced probably a loss or a breakup 
or disappointment or a betrayal. And uh, when she experiences that, then she may have a different position. Quite uh, depressing, quite cynical in a way. But at least there was an honesty. People were talking openly about it. So, what did I say? Well, you cannot argue with the fact that we do live in a world where everything goes through, decays, deteriorates, erodes, and then perishes. This is the, this is the experience of life. Beginning with life, very life itself, as I mentioned. So what can we introduce here? So here's what I present and I, I would like to present, which is perhaps can help illuminate and in a refreshing way introduce another dimension to relationships. And for the record, this isn't just about romantic relationships, it's about all relationships. It's about connections that we make. Now, the fact is, I think it's important to state before we even get into the actual subject, why and what shapes and defines our attitudes. So our attitudes, especially around love and relationships, begins with what happens in our homes with our parents. If they are role models and living examples of a very loving, unconditional connection that endures, obviously that's going to impact the children in that home. If, however, they're not in that situation, and whether they are always bickering and fighting, or they actually break up, or even if they don't, the, vi- the vibe and the environment is one of hostility, or at least apathy. That's, of course, going to also impact children. So very much our attitudes are not always about what we rationalize. It's what we've seen, what we've experienced, for good or for bad. It's vital to know that, because in, in the final analysis, we're going to need to consider why do we have certain attitudes? Why may some of us be more hopeful and some of us far less hopeful? And very often, it's not just due to the fact that philosophically things erode and things don't last, but it's our life experiences. And that's a given. When people are disappointed, are abandoned, are, are abandoned, are hurt, they're going to be more wary. Why would I go into a relationship where I can be hurt? This is a, a natural reaction. It's like somebody gets wounded as an injury, so you're going to be a lot more careful with that part of your body that has injured. You're going to be more uh, wary, more, more careful. So the same thing emotionally and psychologically. If we've been hurt or we've seen hurt, and of course children growing up in a home that's dysfunctional or in other ways not really conducive to trust and confidence, are going to be very, very careful. A lot of defense mechanisms in order to be able to build trust is very difficult when you don't have trust or when your trust has been betrayed or violated in some way. So we cannot ignore that. We're not dealing with a clean slate here. We're dealing with a situation that all of us have been shaped in some way or form, again, for good or for bad. And it's usually a mixture of the two. That's point number one. Point number two is that the very concept of love and relationships is not something that is subject to, uh, let's call it scientific um, observation and therefore tinkering with. You know, you can build a beautiful piece of technology, a smartphone, and it works. There's, there's, the engineers have built a solid piece, and then something breaks or something is weakened, there are ways to tinker with it, replacing it, etc., etc., fixing it. 
When it comes to a relationship, you can't quite put it under a microscope in the same way and say, okay, here's what's working, here's what's not working. Because number one, emotions are invisible, literally. Secondly, the way we convey them and communicate them are not always that black and white. We may have mixed feelings. Subjectivity clouds our judgment. Again, for on all directions, for positive and the negative. And you're just dealing with something that's far more amorphous and also two different people. So, for instance, in, in couple counseling, I always say, there are three narratives, his narrative, her narrative, and the full picture. So the way we communicate, the way we discuss, especially when we're hurt, especially when we're, when we're vulnerable, we don't always convey it, or we don't, not because of malicious reasons, but it could simply be because we're blinded and we don't always see the problem. We see the symptoms of the issues. So all this just makes things much more complicated in dealing with it, and the proof is in the pudding. You see, with all the therapy, with all marriage counseling and so on, it still continues on because it's not simple. You don't just come to someone and just they tinker around and you do fix this, fix that. It's complicated. And it deals with the whole psyche and the individual's history and so on. So by no means am I going to exhaust this topic, but I want to introduce a perspective and a way to look at it that can actually help you in any relationship looking at things in a little deeper way. When I say deeper, I don't mean more philosophical. I mean deeper in a more insightful way to really access resources that we may not have access simply because no one taught us how to access it. So this takes us to the core of the very core of what a relationship is. And it's always good to understand something, to look at the contrast. If we had no relationships, if we were just alone and perfectly fine, what, what would life be like? Well, I, you know, maybe I should take out the line perfectly fine. What would our relationship be like? So here's the thing. If we were just alone and we had no need for companionship, for intimacy, for love, for that partnership that comes with a relationship on all levels, we would be who we are. But number one, we'd never have the capacity to really become something greater, except as much as we can achieve on our own. With a partner, what happens is the partner introduces a different perspective, which on one hand can lead to conflict, but on the other hand can lead to richness, to a whole new way of looking at things. There's also something about being validated by another. I'm not suggesting that a relationship is about just getting your validation. It's just the fact that you have someone who cares about you. The human being thrives on being cared for, nurturing, just like a flower will wither if it's not watered, a human being will wither if we're not nurtured. And nurturing is part someone cares about you. From the youngest of age, a, new, a newborn child, non, after nine months of nurturing in, mother's, in, a mother's, in, a, in his or her mother's womb, then comes the nurturing that parents should be giving. Again, I said should be in the healthy situation. This is not just an option. It's critical to develop and build the child's confidence, the child's self-esteem, security, trust, all the ingredients that are necessary to go out there into a larger world where there'll be many challenges. Sometimes it's a hostile world. And the relationships ourselves that we build are going to be subject to many challenges, setbacks, difficulties, crisis. So to be able to navigate through all of that 
you need to be trained. Just like a good swimmer doesn't just become a good swimmer. You're trained. Anyone is trained. So when something happens that's, that's not unexpected or disruptive, you have the tools to navigate through it. That's part of what nurturing does. It's not the only thing. So alone in this world, the way we are wired is, is not really allowing, not conducive and doesn't allow us to fully actualize all of everything about ourselves. The idea of caring, and this is also true in the animal kingdom, the nurturing mother to child or father to child is vital for our development and for our success. So with that said, that's why it's so necessary. And when it's lacking, or it's somewhat a compromised relationship, it's going to compromise who we are, how we believe in ourselves, our self-confidence, and all that comes with that. Trust. That's a big word, trust. You cannot buy trust. You have to earn it. Someone says, trust me. Yeah, it's a nice line. Most people hear that line. They, that doesn't actually, is not very um, conducive to love, to trust. Because trust me, I'll trust you if I feel I can trust you. So with that said, let's talk now about the relationships itself. Being that human beings need each other, what, is it, what does it consist of? So there are the two models. I'll use two models. The prevalent Western model, which is one based essentially by evolutionary biology, and that is that the most the cardinal rule in existence is survival, perpetuation of the species. Without going into all the details, and there are, of course, many variations of this, that the need to breed, because if you don't breed, there will not be the next generation. So nature, in its own way, has f- figured out a method to get male and female to come together sexual attraction and other things, which is a means simply for one practical thing, to breed. I know it doesn't sound very romantic. As a matter of fact, you reach thinkers like Schopenhauer and others, they actually strip it from everything that is very emotional or romantic. Basically, nature's trick. Now, human beings, some actually say it's a mutation that we've evolved to the point that we've become too intelligent, too smart for ourselves. So now we're not just satisfied to just meet the other sex, mate and breed. We turn it into a whole courtship and romance. Some even argue that the entire world, whether it's buying flowers, dating, going, let's go get a drink, restaurants, museums, is all nature's scheme for simple thing to get the man and woman together. And if we were like the animal kingdom, just do what you have to do. Don't go into a whole elaboration and dating and complexities. Do you, is, is he going to call me? Is she going to love me? And then therapy. Look at the animal kingdom. They don't need any of that. Yes, they may have some schemes that they use to attract each other and to compete, as we see. But the bottom line is, especially in many species, you get the job done. And it doesn't have to be a whole, we're building a whole marriage and a whole relationship and then and, and you said this and she said that. I know it can be humorous when we stand on the side if the whole purpose is breeding. 
a second model in stark contrast, completely on the other end of the spectrum, is, we'll call it the Torah model, the spiritual model, that the main driving force in, in, in relationship is not the product of producing another generation. That there's something about the transcendence that love and relationships creates that makes us more complete and more unified. In the words of the Bible, you could say this is the biblical model if you wish, Adam and Eve, male and female, were created as one in the divine image. <clears throat> then they were separated and they longed to reconnect to the second part of themselves, the second half. Not that they can't live a complete life on their own, but there's something lacking. And when they do, they not only become united with each other, they become united with the image in which they were created. A second part to that is that they're blessed with the capacity to have children. But that itself is a purpose. You know the difference between these two models? One is a completely selfish model and one is a selfless, I would call it a transcendent model. The selfish model, just borrowing the words of Richard Dawkins, the selfish gene, it's about preservation, about perpetuating the species. There's nothing about the relationship itself that necessarily has value. It's in order to perpetuate the species, we need to mate and breed. And in order to mating and breeding, we also need to love each other to some extent, because love is good for the health of the organism. The model, the second model, the transcendent model, it's not about perpetuating the species, it's not even about you, it's about getting outside of yourself and perpetuating yourself. It's about connecting something that's beyond you. So is love a selfish need being fulfilled, just like no different than other needs, maybe a little more sublime, or is love actually an experience of transcendence? I don't know if you've thought about this, but therein lies the key to what is lasting, what is not lasting. Model number one can never be lasting because it's subject to whatever is best for perpetuation of the species. If you meet someone else, a better mate, then you know what? There's no loyalty. The only loyalty is to the getting the job done, survival of the fittest. In the second model, you're introducing something that's not about, that's not man-made in a sense. So it has a transcendent quality and transcendence can endure. Let me phrase it in a different way. When we talk about relationships, there are, you know, you think about what's, what makes people compatible. Everyone's looking for that. The ingredients, the secret ingredients of compatibility. So generally speaking, there's three levels of compatibility. One is what we'll call physical, emotional, and intellectual. What's physical? Sexual attraction. Physical attraction. I like what you look like. I like your style. I like the, there's a certain physical, as I said, sexual attraction. But you could also be attracted to a model, beautiful, man or woman, man or woman, but then not have an emotional relationship. They may be completely vacuous when you meet them. So the second level of compatibility is there's an emotional connection. I like you. I don't just like what you look like. I'm not just drawn to you in a purely biological or sexual way. There's an emotional a care, a warmth, 
So again, you, there are people that can be very beautiful, but there's no emotional connection. And then there's number three, intellectual compatibility. You share ideas. You share a perspective. You respect the other person's ideas. It's engaging, stimulating. So when I spoke at the Learning Annex, I remember I said, so what do you think about these three? One person said, if I had one out of the three, I'd be happy. Two out of the three is a, is a dream. Three out of the three is complete fantasy. <laughs> I know it was an interesting group, but I don't think they were unique. I think they were a good cross-section of uh, most, most people in, this, uh, in our world. So I said, well, I want to introduce a fourth level of compatibility. I call it spiritual compatibility. Transcendent compatibility. What does that mean? The two share a vision. They sh- what kind of home do they want to build? What kind of children? What mark in the universe are they going to leave? When people come into your home, what kind of home, what vibe, what feelings, what ideas? I know I said feelings and ideas, but I mean that more than that. I mean, like what synergy are you creating and impacting people around you? What is the difference between the fourth compatibility and the first three? The first three are subject to change all the time. People can be physically attracted, but you know we change. We age. Looks change. Then you meet someone else who's much younger and more vibrant looking. So you can easily be distracted. And the person that you are physically attracted to, you have someone that you're more attracted to now. Emotionally, yes, there can be an emotional connection, but it could also become monotonous. I'm used to this person. I meet a new person at work or somewhere, and it's like fresh New stimulation. Same thing intellectually. We, our intellectual things change. Also the people you know, everyone has their spectrum. You're looking for new ideas. So the first three, as important as they are, and I'm not denying their importance, they are subject exactly to the laws of nature we spoke about earlier that are ever-changing and are not permanent, are temporary, are impermanent. Fine. Level four, however, of compatibility is a vision you share. A vision does not change. You can be a couple at 20 years old, 40 years old, 90 years old. The vision that you carry is a vision that's greater than both of you. And therefore, it does not subject to the changes that we go through. When you find people who have enduring and lasting relationships, you'll always find that. Now, vision doesn't always mean some vision to, to change the world. Vision means something that's more about more than, more than just me and you. Not just my needs getting met and your needs getting met. But rather, something greater is being achieved, some greater cause. Now, the fact is, we all need that in our lives, even as singles. But together, when you build a home and a family, it's more than just survival and perpetuation of the species. There's values you're introducing. The children you bring up, you want them to be able to be confident and go out in the world and fulfill their mission. So yes, I would say mission-driven relationship. And that is the ingredient, the secret ingredient for something that's lasting. It has to have a spiritual component in it. Take out the spiritual component and you will be subject. I'm not saying a relationship can't last regardless, but it doesn't have that secure foundation. It's, it's based on con- con- continuously changing factors. 
So you'll say, what does vision mean? Give an example. Well, let's go back to the very purpose of our, our existence. The people say, I'd like to find my soulmate. So I say, well, let's first find the soul within you before you're going to find a soulmate. What's the soul? The mission of your life. Why were you put here? So in one sentence, it's to bring a unique light that you have to this world, to illuminate yourself, the people around you, and your corner of the world with a unique energy. Another way of putting it, spiritualizing the material world. In other words, it's not just about you being comfortable, making money, acquiring material objects. It's about you giving and changing, transforming the very existence of your life. That's a transcendent purpose. It's not just me, me, me. You carry that over into a relationship, so then two people are committed to that transcendence. The whole, their whole relationship changes. Because in addition to the physical and emotional and intellectual, they now have something that is beyond them. I'll just give a very practical example that actually, interestingly, works in magical ways, more than we would expect. So I've counseled couples, often people who know each other for a while, they know me, and often they come, they say, you know, we decided we're getting married. We'd like to sit with you and maybe get some advice. Okay. So I always tell people, look, you're starting a new chapter in your life. Begin the right way. A relationship is sacred. It's not just a pedestrian thing. Okay, we're together now. Even if you've been together before, you're starting a new chapter. In Jewish tradition, actually, a marriage is compared to Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. It's a sacred experience. And as such, introducing to your marriage, in addition to the home that you're going to build, rent or buy, in addition to the furniture, the type of design you like, the, the paintings and everything else that will make your home beautiful, introduce some spiritual beauty, certain foundations. What does that mean, foundations? Foundations that will are more than just the physical aspect, but the spirit of the home. And I always suggest, I said, you know, take a day a week, every week, Thursday night, it could be Friday night, and commit and never change that commitment to read something together. A spiritual book, a book about ideas, not politics, something that lifts your spirits. And do it consistently, not when you're in the mood, always. Half hour a week. So no matter what happens that week, this half hour is your sacred space together. Obviously, you can do much more than that, but minimum. Busy people, but begin. If you make that resolution now, it becomes part of your routine. It'll be easier to maintain. And I explain, because that connection, qualitatively, introduces something eternal into your life. That's more than just, okay, we're going to go out to eat, we're traveling, we're going to have guests over, we're going to have a party. Those are all beautiful things. And they're, but they're not necessarily lasting things. When you introduce what I just suggested, that coming together, studying or reading. As, and I give always another suggestion. Maybe once a month host an event in your home, but not just a party. Have a speaker. Have a theme. Talk about something that lifts everyone up. Challenge people. 
even about this topic, what makes a lasting relationship. So I've suggested this to many people that I have counseled. Let me share one story with you that, teach, that immediately captures this, this, this idea in, in, a, in a powerful way. So one couple that I helped with that, gave them some guidance. They asked me to officiate their wedding, which I did. They were both very busy people, brilliant people, very accomplished. He was, he was, she was building a new business. He was in a very big firm and, and growing. Anyway, well, as always, a marriage goes through challenges. They started growing apart. I didn't know all about this, about all of this, till they told me later. They started growing apart. Okay. Um, to the point that they told me later that they literally were not talking to each other. They were angry about this. They were supposed to, I mean, basically their busy lives took control and they had no time for each other. And then, of course, there was some challenge, some crisis happened. So that just put more pressure on it. The hostilities grew to the point that literally were not talking to each other. But they never forgot the commitment. So Thursday evening, they still would get together. Even after an entire week of Cold War, they would get together and read. I remember them both telling this to me with tears. They said, you know something? It saved our marriage. Because that was the last oasis that remained. And we kept to it because we said we promised we would. And we built upon that. We started realizing, one second, if we're able to sit for a half hour together and not think about ourselves, read something, study something, connect to something greater, why can't we build upon that? And they did. To their credit, they built upon it and it saved their marriage. So you see how things turn around. You'd think success at work would have done it, other experiences, other distractions, those are band-aids. The eternal things we commit to. And I just gave one example. It could be a different commitment. Both of you volunteer for something. Maybe once a week, go out and volunteer to help special children or other people in need. These activities are all vision-oriented because they're not about you, and therefore they're not subject to mortal changes. They're doing something that will last forever. You help somebody, that never dies. And then it comes and feeds you back and gives you back in return eternity. That's what it's about. A taste of eternity, which of course is the secret to the key to lasting relationships. So in addition to the physical, emotional, and intellectual, there is the spiritual, the transcendent. And it's not difficult to to discover. You just have to apply yourself. Let me just tell you what happened at the learning annex at the end of the, when I presented this. I, 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 I was really humbled few people came over to me. I never heard it that way put. So it didn't change their perspective. Obviously, if your relationship is going to be built on impermanent things, it'll be an impermanent relationship. But if you have that foundation or foundations that are transcendent and enduring, that changes the entire picture. So my dear friends, we are sent here to this world, beautiful soul, You, let's speak in the personal. You, a soul was chosen, a beautiful, gentle, 
soul with unique and indispensable qualities and talents and skills and songs and melodies and beauty in order for you to bring that beauty to the world around you. Hopefully, you had the nurturing and the confidence building, building and the validation that helped your flower blossom, spread your wings. If not, you'll have challenges. We all will have challenges. But that doesn't mean you can't overcome them. As you grow older and you begin to build your own relationships, even young age we build relationships with our little friends. In school, we meet others, we travel. But the time will come when you mature enough and you're ready to find your soulmate. Keep in mind, it's your soul that you need to nurture more than anything else. The soul within you, and then as you seek another partner, well, a partner, another person in your life, not just seeking the personal, the physical, emotional, intellectual. Talk about this. Talk about transcendent values. Talk about what, what's enduring. You'll be surprised what will be elicited in a conversation like that. <laughs> a little anecdote, funny anecdote. People would sometimes bring their dates to my class. I remember when we were in Manhattan, before it was only online. And, and later they would tell me, you know what, I have a date, I brought her, I want to introduce her or to introduce him. I said, why did you bring them to my class? Why don't you go out somewhere and have some fun? Because your class happens to stimulate conversation and I learn a lot about the other. I've heard these people tell me that after your class we go out and speak and she or he will say, ah, I'm not interested in that stuff. And it's not about me, it's about the topics that are topics that are not just about where you're going to invest your money or what restaurant we're going to go and to eat to, and where we're traveling for the summer. It introduced topics that I really found, find out about the other. And very often I was surprised because suddenly my, my date is real insights and really cares about these matters. And it creates a whole new dimension. It's another example of introducing transcendence. So we just need the tools and the guidance. Just the, the, just the information I shared now. Make sure your conversations, as you're building a relationship, and even if you have a relationship, introduce elements that are not just about survival, not just about the here and now, but about bigger ideas. Why are we here? What's our purpose? What do you believe? What are you ready to fight for? In this pandemic era, what have you learned about yourself? And the deeper you go there, the more transcendent is the conversation, the more the transcendence will permeate this relationship. I have online at MeaningfulLife.com, people ask me, so I wrote up a whole list, how to discover your soulmate. It's actually a bunch of questions to ask yourself. Check it out, how to discover your soulmate. So my dear friends, I hope these words resonated. I hope they're words from the heart that, that hopefully enter your heart and will help you look at yourself wherever you are, whether you're building a relationship, whether you're before you've built one, whether you're in one, to help enrich it, enhance it, and introduce dimensions that are there for your taking, but you need, to, you need to introduce it. You need to reveal it, I should say. You need to uncover it. And Michelangelo's words, <clears throat> when asked, how do you sculpt those beautiful angels in the marble? 
He said, I see the angels trapped in the marble. I carved and carved and set them free. We have these transcendent angels within us. We have that beauty. We just need to set it free because sometimes it can be trapped in marble, in concrete, or in other distractions of our lives. Introduce that fourth dimension and your life will be different forever. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear your feedback. Please share if you like this. Subscribe. Like all the different uh, language used today in technology and social media. Simon Jacobson here. Meaningful Life Center. Go to MeaningfulLife.com for more, for archives of this program and other programs. And really, I'd love to hear from you. I really believe in the synergy. Because this too is a relationship. Hopefully an enduring one. Because we're focusing on matters that are not just the temporary, perishable elements of our lives. It's been a real honor. Be blessed and may you build lasting, enduring, and beautiful relationships. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.